Team Kemp has always been built from the grassroots up, and this race has been no different. You have honored us with your time, with your efforts, and with your resources, but most importantly, with your belief in our campaign, and we cannot thank you guys enough. God bless you all. Thank you. I seriously did think that we had a chance because when I really thought about it and dug deep and, and thought about the situation where we were, in my heart of hearts, I didn't think that the experts were really looking at this the right way. My thinking was the vast majority of Jordans are looking for honest people for elected office. We could not have done this. It would not have happened without each and every single one of you here tonight and all of you watching on TV. Your thoughts, your prayers, and your support, and your votes have allowed us to win the Republican primary tonight outright. That was Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, and Alabama Governor Kay Ivey. They're all Republicans. Voters in Georgia, Alabama, Arkansas, Minnesota, and Texas lined up to cast their ballots in several key primaries. And this year's primaries are happening against a backdrop of ongoing political battles. After the break, we'll check on the contests in Alabama and Georgia. What do these midterm races say about the direction of the country and what might happen in the general election? We'll be back with that and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Vox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming, and many are burned out without even knowing it. Struggling with work or any of life's roles can lead to a lack of motivation and detachment. Prioritize your mental health by talking with someone. BetterHelp Online Therapy offers video, phone, and live chat sessions with a professional therapist, and it's more affordable than in-person therapy. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash 1A. We're discussing the latest round of primaries in Alabama and Georgia. Joining us now is Reed Wilson. He's a national correspondent for The Hill based here in Washington. Also with us is Cody Short, a local government and communities reporter for WBHM, a member station in Birmingham, Alabama. So, Reed, first, what were the big takeaways? Well, it was a good night to be an incumbent, especially in uh, Georgia and Alabama. Uh, it was a good night to, well, it was a bad night to have uh, uh, President Trump's, in, former President Trump's endorsement uh, in Georgia. You know, I, I was... I don't think anybody was surprised that Governor Brian Kemp won renomination. It looked like he was uh, on a glide path there. So did Attorney General Chris Carr. Uh, President, former President Trump uh, endorsed his opponent, but didn't really put any muscle behind that. The thing that I think really surprised everybody was Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. And you heard him there in the second clip talking about Georgians wanting honest elected officials. Um, he had been the most vocal uh, opponent of Trump's big lie that he had won uh, the 2020 election. And 
And uh, he was facing a congressman named Jody Heiss, who had Trump's endorsement. Uh, Heiss had spent a lot of his own money uh, on the race, too. And Brad Raffensperger not only won, but he won with more than 50% of the vote, which means that he will not go uh, to a runoff uh, election against the second-place finisher there. Uh, a lot of southern states still have uh, runoff elections on, on the books. Um, so in general, it was a, a pretty good night to be an incumbent uh, in, in Georgia, regardless of whether or not President Trump was, was backing you. Cody, in Alabama, there's the governor's race and the Senate race. Tell us a bit about the candidates who won each of those races yesterday. Yes. So uh, Kay Ivey is the incumbent. She served in the office for the last five years. Um, she originally served as a lieutenant governor in t- until 2017 when former Governor Bentley resigned. And then she ran for a full term in 2018 and now is up for re-election this fall. Uh, she's been labeled as one of the most conservative and oldest governors in the country. And right now we don't know who Ivey will be facing on the Democrat side. Uh, the front runner of the Democrat Party is Yolanda Flowers, but she's headed off in a runoff against Malik- Malika Sanders is unlikely that either one of them will win the general election since Alabama has not voted a Democrat into the governor's seat in about 25 years. Um, And then on the U.S. Senate side, uh, you have Katie Britt, who has served as Senator Richard Shelby's aide in various roles on and off for the last 15 to 20 years. And she led in the polls with securing almost 45 percent of the vote. Her opponent in the race is Mo Brooks, and that's who she'll be facing next month in a runoff election. And Mo Brooks has served as a congressman in Alabama for the last 11 years and was initially backed by former President Donald Trump. Trump eventually withdrew his endorsement once Brooks started slipping in the polls. And Brooks has also made national headlines in the last few months because of his involvement in the January 6th insurrection. He received 29% of the votes, and the winner of that race, of the U.S. Senate race, will face Democrat Will Boyd. So, Cody, why? what are the stakes of these primaries, and, and why should the rest of the country pay attention to Alabama? Yeah, I believe Alabama has always been a symbolic state as to how conservative or how far right the Republican Party is. Also, it tells us how much influence former President Donald Trump has in these state elections. Um, similar to what we saw in Georgia, uh, I, I don't think that voters really cared about the endorsement. Um, he also spoke out against Kay Ivey, and he actually didn't back up anyone in this state's primary election, but Kay Ivey still won her primary seat, and Mo Brooks is headed to a runoff. Um, and additionally, we have Richard Shelby, who has served as the U.S. Senator for the last 36 years and was considered a very powerful Republican. He brought in a lot of federal dollars to the state. And so not having him to represent is considered a huge loss. Um, But however, he's supported Katie Britt in replacing him. Now, Alabama put new election laws to the test this primary season. Is it clear what impact, if any, they had on the primaries? No, it doesn't seem that there's been any direct impact. Um, Alabama Secretary of State John Merrill decided to change the way votes were tabulated. And initially that Initially last night, there was a slow start in election results coming in, but at around 10 o'clock last night, we had over 60 percent of all the votes in, and we pretty much knew who was going to win in each category. Now, Reed, Cody alluded to what we've seen in Alabama and other states, that this so-called race to the right, where conservative, conservative candidates have scrambled to prove their far-right credentials. What did you observe in Alabama around that specific issue? Yeah, Cody brings up a great point there. Uh, in in both Alabama and Georgia, let's focus on the incumbent governors here. You know, Governor Brian Kemp, Governor Kay Ivey are both uh, solid conservatives. I mean, they're they're on the the sort of center right side of the Republican Party as it exists today. 
in both cases, Governor Kemp and Governor Ivey signed a raft of legislation this year that was basically catnip to uh, their their most Republican cohorts. Um, Governor Kay Ivey was uh, the, the one of the first to sign a ban on transgender girls in uh, women's sports, uh, and that law was the first one of its kind to actually take effect uh, in Alabama. Um, Governor Kemp signed a, a bunch of uh, uh, pro-gun measures, a bunch of uh, uh, election reform measures, uh, and a, a bunch of uh, sort of culture war issues on things like critical race theory and transgender rights uh, that if effectively made the most conservative session of Georgia's legislature that we've seen in modern history. And so beyond the question of whether or not this is still Donald Trump's party, I think it's fair to say that the Republican Party today is settling in in a more rightward direction uh, than it was in the past, driven by the, this, this threat of primary challenges from people who are alleging that the incumbents are not uh, sufficiently conservative. Those incumbents are reacting by becoming more conservative uh, than they were even when they got to office, and it's not as if these people were you know, liberals when they got there. Now, Cody, you talked about Senate candidate Mo Brooks, again, a, a Republican who was initially endorsed by Donald Trump. And that support was rescinded after Brooks said it was time for Republicans to look ahead to 2022 and 2024 instead of looking back to 2020. How has that issue played into the primary races in Alabama, whether or not, as we know they weren't, but whether or not the election of President Biden was valid? Yeah, I I mean, from what I've heard from voters directly is that um, a lot of them agree with Mo Brooks. um, But also, like I said earlier, former Donald Trump's endorsement didn't sway voters per se. Um, And and what we saw was a lot of what I hear uh, Reid saying that happened in Georgia is that a lot of Republicans um, here in the state of Alabama are mimicking a lot of that rhetoric that we hear Republicans say, um, you know, that the 2020 election was stolen. And, you know, Kay Ivey specifically was saying things about um, anti-abortion, supporting gun laws or the Second Amendment, uh, or or, or supporting the Second Amendment, banning critical race theory. Um, We saw this across all the races, governor and Senate. So, and Cody, when you talk to voters in Alabama, what issues are top of mind for them? Are they concerned about those things or, or are they more concerned about kitchen table issues? Yeah, that's a really good question, Jen, because um, unfortunately, what I think a lot of what we saw in this election was a lot of the uh, the candidates speaking to a lot of what we've heard across the country. But uh, what we were looking what voters were looking for some of these candidates to speak more about was education. Uh, Alabama does rank pretty low in the nation, um, specifically in the math category. Um, They were also looking for Alabama to address prison and and some kind of prison reform. And and I think that looks different depending on who you ask. Um, But Alabama does have a terrible reputation when it comes to the conditions of what our prisons look like. Um, And I think those are just a couple of the things that voters were looking for the candidates to speak on. Well, there was a high-profile gerrymandering case in Alabama that went to the Supreme Court earlier this year. The maps in question were upheld for the time being, resulting in only one majority black district out of seven. And for context, roughly 25 percent of registered voters in Alabama are black. 
First, Reed, tell us a little more about this case and the impact you think it may have had. So uh, this case uh, this came from uh, Democratic groups who wanted uh, more black rep- representation in Congress. Um, they were effectively challenging the Republican past maps, uh, and, and Alabama's maps didn't change very much uh, this year. The, the Republican legislators down there effectively created status quo maps. Uh, the maps have been uh, six to one Republican for the last decade, and they will be again in the decade ahead. Um, there was a, a thought among Democratic strategists who pay attention to redistricting and election laws uh, that there may be an avenue to challenge uh, some of these districts, not not just in Alabama but elsewhere, on on uh, voter, the Voting Rights Act uh, uh, sort of. Uh, Provisions that allow or that require uh, uh, racial uh, uh, representation across states, and uh, this case went all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, "Nope." Uh, the the they ruled in favor of the existing Alabama map, and that really took the wind out of the sails uh, from of, of Democrats who were trying to challenge the, a lot of these maps in other states as well. So. Um, the, the districts that exist uh, for the last decade are, are going to exist for the next decade, uh, and that uh, really stopped a lot of the, the hopes that I think Democrats had that they could challenge maps in other states like, uh, like Georgia, like Texas, although the Texas case is still ongoing, uh, on racial grounds. Cody, what did voters, especially black voters, have to say about this decision? Well, unfortunately, Jen, um, black voters in the state... Um, in regards to the congressional districts, did see that there was a very clearly uh, gerrymandering gerrymandering that was happening here. Um, there was no question in, in, in doubt about that. Um, however, I do feel like uh, black voters here, along with a lot of Democrats, are feeling just really disengaged and feeling uh, hopeless when it comes to anything in regards to uh, opposing Republicans. Um, like I said earlier, uh, Alabama has not voted a Democrat into the governor's seat in almost 25 years. Um, even even when you look at the polls for the Democratic uh, candidates in the races, those numbers are very low. And so I think that a lot of people are just really disengaged and not really feeling hopeful as to what they can actually do to make a change in some of these issues that are arising in the state. Reed, when you look at Alabama compared to other primaries writ large, uh, what similarities do you see and, and where does where is Alabama unique? Yeah, one one thing that I thought uh, is is most fascinating and and Cody touched on this earlier is that Katie Britt finished first in the in the Senate primary there. Katie Britt is, you know, R- Richard Shelby's former chief of staff, uh, a I mean, as establishment Republican as you can come, as you can become in in this sort of atmosphere of of populism and upheaval. Uh, And she finished first, and she is pretty well positioned to win uh, the runoff election. Um, Along with the Georgia primaries in which Governor Kemp, Secretary Raffensperger won uh, their renominations, I think there's there's a there's a substantial case to be made that uh, republicanism as it existed pre Donald Trump is still a major factor uh, in in the the party itself and uh, for these primary voters. There are a lot of primary voters who are 
if not completely ready to discard former President Trump, at least ready to move on from the last couple of years of angst over the 2020, uh, the 2020 election results and um, his effort to completely reinvent the party in his own image. There are still plenty of voters who are conservatives and for whom ideology matters more than the, the personality of, of a former president who uh, sucked up so much oxygen from the room. So I think this is a, a, these are results that are going to uh, give some put the wind in the sails of uh, other candidates who pre Donald Trump you would have considered regular establishment Republicans. Cody, what are you watching for between now and November, especially in light of what you described as as a feeling of of being sort of checked out on the part of certain voters and and Democrats? What happens between now and November? Right. And, you know, I was actually speaking with my editor about how, you know, I grew up here in Alabama and I remember there was a time when, you know, Republican candidates used to sway liberal voters or Democratic voters. Um, And now what we see is that a lot of those candidates are just writing off anybody who identifies as liberal or Democrat. And so what me and a lot of other um, people, Republican or Democrat, are looking for these candidates to speak to both pe- to people on both sides of the aisle, being able to speak to those education issues, being able to speak about uh, prison reform and, and and what's going to happen in regards to um, even even gun laws, like what what's going to take place to making sure that um, people are safe. And I think also we we mentioned that. Um, Katie Britt is in the lead when it comes to um, the upcoming uh, with the runoff election. But I think we're also going to be seeing what what is she going to be bringing in terms of filling the void that Richard Shelby is leaving behind? I mean, 36 years in office, he is he's leaving a legacy here. So people are definitely wanting to hear what is she going to do for the state of Alabama? That's Cody Short. She's a local government and communities reporter for WBHM. That's one of our member stations in Birmingham, Alabama. Cody, thanks. Thank you. We'll hear more from our guests and from you in a moment. A reminder to have your questions answered on future topics or just to let us know what you think. Tweet us at 1A. Let's turn to the primary races in Georgia and add a new voice. Greg Bluestein is a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Greg, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. So there are three primary races in Georgia. We have the Senate race, the governor's race, and the Secretary of State's race. Let's start with the governor's race, which has gotten a lot of attention. First, remind us who the players were in that race, Greg. Yeah, the players are Governor Brian Kemp, the incumbent Republican governor, um, who beat Stacey Abrams back in 2018 in one of the closest gubernatorial races in Georgia's history. And David Perdue, the former U.S. senator who is backed by Donald Trump, um, was a conservative rock star in his own right when he won a 2014 election, uh, allied himself very tightly with Donald Trump in the 2020 election, lost uh, that Senate runoff to John Ossoff in 2021 that helped flip control of the chamber to, to Democrats. And uh, fueled by Donald Trump's um, promises of support and angst over Brian Kemp, who he blames for his election defeat, uh, Purdue um, launched what is now an ill-fated challenge. So what were your key takeaways from that race, Greg? One is it's really hard to beat an entrenched uh, Republican incumbent with a very long conservative track record. Uh, Donald Trump's had success in open races and against unpopular incumbents. But in this case, um, he met his match with Governor Brian Kemp, who used the levers of power to his advantage in a, in a, in a full way. I mean, 
you know, from bill signings of conservative wish list agenda items to um, economic development announcements. The governor announced the two biggest economic development projects in Georgia's history in the last six months, um, even to, you know, you know, uh, less high profile things like appointing, uh, orchestrating David Perdue's cousin, Sonny Perdue, the former governor of Georgia and Trump's former agricultural secretary. He orchestrated Sonny Perdue to be the new head of the higher education system, effectively sidelining him from the political debate. So all these things, big and small, that Governor Kemp did all helped fuel this landslide victory. Well, let's go to a message we got from Jane in Atlanta. I voted early in Georgia's primary election, casting my ballot for Stacey Abrams for governor and B. Wynn for secretary of state. I feel like our democracy is threatened by false information and propaganda coming from both within and outside our country and by election policies driven by bigotry and self-interest. The governor and secretary of state are crucial positions and no other candidates have poured more hard work and integrity into standing up for democracy in our state than Stacey Abrams and B. Wynn. Jane, thanks for that message. Now, Greg, as you said, that 2018 gubernatorial race between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp were very high profile. The results were pretty close. Abrams pursued legal action against the state for how the election was handled, and that case will soon go to trial. But how significant would a rematch between these two be? Yeah, that's where we're heading towards is a epic rematch between the two of them. And unlike in 2018, when Stacey Abrams was a lesser known um, state lawmaker, now she's a national figure with all the trappings uh, that that comes along with. Um, She's a fundraising dynamo. She raised more than $100 million for her Fair Fight Action uh, political organization that she launched right after her electoral defeat. But she's also been made an enemy a villain of Republicans in Georgia for years. I mean, if you're running for dog catcher as a GOP contender, if you're running for county commissioner uh, back in 2020, 2019, you're railing against her. That That is how unpopular um, she is to many Republicans. Um, so it's going to be a polarizing campaign, and we're likely to see uh, base mobilization, which is both candidates going back to their bases uh, rather than trying to appeal to the middle. Although there's a lot of... Um, you know, there's a lot of efforts, too, to, to tailor messages to uh, the more middle ground. So we're going to see a little bit of everything in Georgia. Well, as we mentioned earlier, Georgia is also holding their Senate race. Greg, again, remind us of the players there, and then we'll get into the results. Yeah, Senator Raphael Warnock um, was the other victor, other than John Ossoff. He was the other Democrat in Georgia who swept those January 2021 runoffs that flipped control of the chamber. He is the pastor of Ebenezer's ba- Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, MLK's Martin Luther King Jr.'s spiritual home, um, the first black U.S. senator in Georgia history, and won a special election, which meant he only uh, won a two-year term. So now he has to fill an entire, win an entire six-year term um, in November. And his his opponent in the Republican Party is going to be Herschel Walker, the famed football player who entered the race with Donald Trump's support and never really looked back, never once mentioned his rivals, didn't participate in debates, ignored a lot of conventional campaign. Um, the trappings of a conventional campaign didn't go to forums or town halls or have big campaign rallies until just a few weeks ago. Um, he has a history of controversial remarks, um, violence against women, misstating his business record, lying about his academic experience, all sorts of issues that have cropped up on the campaign trail, but it didn't hurt him one bit. So what were voters voting for in casting their vote for him? That is a great question. I mean, there there was a, a lot of high name recognition there. You know, Herschel Walker, if you grew up in Georgia like me, even if you never saw him play because he stopped playing by the time I was born, 
you know, you grew up hearing stories about him. So there is that factor of, you know, oh, I like that, you know, the, the name, the celebrity appeal, but also because he didn't have to worry about Republican rivals, he did tailor his message broader. He just talked about, um, you know, he, he attacked Biden, Joe Biden, the president, who's, whose approval ratings are on the downturn in Georgia. But he also talked about reaching out to Democrats and broadening the message and holding, you know, pretty conservative viewpoints on most issues, including abortion, but also talking about the American dream. A lot of um, platitudes that really appealed to to uh, to voters um, in this Republican primary. Reid, as you look ahead to November, how are you assessing the runoff between Warnock and Walker? Well, it's going to be one of the most expensive races uh, in the country. Senator Raphael Warnock raises more money than a sort of a what we used to think of as like a mid-tier presidential candidate like he he's truly a money-making machine it's it's insane um and uh, and Herschel Walker is not no slouch on the fundraising front himself we've already seen big outside groups from across the country pour millions of dollars into late television advertising um this is sort of a race where where you know that that, that mirrors a lot of contests around the country in that Democrats have put uh, a a an appealing candidate on the field somebody who has electoral experience, who has won, uh, and yet that candidate may get swamped just because of what Greg mentioned in that President Biden's approval rating is so lousy and midterm elections tend to become referenda on the uh, first-term incumbent president. So um, one of the the interesting things that I'd note about the primary election is that in in both Georgia and – well, in in, in Georgia at least – you know, Walker had the support of former President Donald Trump, but he also kind of had the support of Mitch McConnell, the Senate, Senate Minority Leader, um, who is no fan of Trump or most of Trump's candidates. Uh, but this is a rare time when McConnell and Trump saw eye to eye in a candidate who would be acceptable to them in a November general election. And you know, if in a in a fifty fifty environment, I'd I'd suggest that uh, Raphael Warnock is probably would be the favorite in this contest. But this isn't a fifty fifty environment, and even though he's going to raise tens of millions of dollars, Warnock faces a really difficult path to a full term in November. Reed, it seems like Trump's picks struggled in Georgia more than they have in other places. Why do you think that is? Well, it's not entirely more than in other places. I, I'd suggest that there is a type of candidate that Trump uh, is unable to sway voters about, and that's gubernatorial candidates. Mm-hmm. So Trump's uh, picks in governor's races uh, have lost recent primary elections in several other states too. In in Nebraska, uh, just recently, his his candidate lost, and and now in now in Georgia as well. But how does um, Raffensperger fit into that dynamic? Well, so I think voters tend to vote more, uh, vote on a different set of issues when they're thinking about statewide candidates than when they're thinking about federal candidates. When they're thinking about federal candidates for U.S. Senator, for Congress, they're thinking about sort of the hot-button national issues that we think of as dividing uh, dividing party lines. When you're voting for a statewide candidate, you're voting for somebody who's running a department. Brad Raffensperger runs elections uh, and, and the other stuff that a Secretary of State does uh, in, in the state of Georgia, you know, uh, 
you know, registering corporations and things like that. Governors have to deal with um, with school issues, with with transportation and infrastructure, things that people don't get really super excited about. So I think there is an element of voters think about executive experience, executive temperament uh, more in in a gubernatorial contest than they do in federal contests, and that has mattered. Trump has picked some some candidates who don't fit that uh, sort of don't fit that model for voters in some of these states. So he's very clearly uh, not uh, not the, the the silver bullet, if you will. Greg, briefly tell us about B. Wynn, who uh, won the, the Democratic primary for Secretary of State. Well, she's headed to a runoff, actually, oh, but really? she's the front runner uh, heading into this runoff. And B. Nguyen, she actually um, represented Stacey Abrams' old district in the Georgia House, um, comes in with a national name brand. Um, it raised a lot of money uh, for a down ticket race like Secretary of State and would be the first Asian American elected uh, statewide in Georgia history if she's elected in November uh, and comes in, you know, basically uh, on the exact opposite of where Jody Heiss stood. Um, you know, said she would she would have fought Donald Trump's efforts to undermine and, and overturn Georgia's election. Uh, her challenge now is the fact is it really the same challenge Stacey Abrams faces because um, these these Republican candidates like Governor Kemp and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger they look a lot more moderate now after they beat back far right opponents like David Perdue and Jody Heiss, and so her her challenge is to energize Democrats and say hey th- th- these people because tens of thousands of Democrats crossed over and voted in the Republican primary for these very candidates. So her challenge is now to rev them back up and say, hey, I know you just supported these guys, but you need to oppose them in November. Reed, very briefly, what upcoming primaries are you paying attention to? Well, uh, we got uh, actually. I was gonna. I was gonna uh, spotlight a few others that are that happened last night. If that's okay, we've got about thirty seconds. That- Sure. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Trump's former press secretary, won the Republican nomination in Arkansas. Uh, in Texas, the incumbent attorney general, Ken Paxton, who has been under indictment for seven years without going to trial, uh, easily beat George P. Bush, the former president's, uh, the former president George W. Bush's nephew, Jeb Bush's son, uh, by uh, about a two to one margin. Um, that's a, sort of the end of the Bush dynasty in Texas. That's Reed Wilson. He's a national correspondent for The Hill. Also with us today, Greg Bluestein, a political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Reed, Greg, thanks for speaking with us. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.